Section 11 of The Watergate Report, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 2. Chapter 4, Campaign Financing, Part 11. 5. Robert H. Allen, Mexican Checks A search by police of the five men arrested in the Watergate burglary on June 17, 1972, produced $6,500 in new $100 bills, most of which were serially numbered. In the process of tracing these bills, it was discovered that five checks totaling 114000 originally contributed to the Finance Committee to re-elect the President had been run through an account of one of the Watergate burglars, Bernard Baker. Four of these checks, totaling $89,000, had been drawn on an account in the Banco Internacional of Mexico City, and were payable to Manuel Orgario de Guer, Orgario, a Mexican national. Shortly afterward, it was established that Orgario used a $100,000 check drawn on the account of the Compañía de Azufre de Veracruz, S.A., hereafter referred to as CAVSA, CAVSA, to negotiate the four bank drafts. CAVSA is a wholly owned subsidiary of Gulf Resources and Chemical Company, Houston, Texas. The sequence of events that set this transaction in motion had its origin in late 1971 or early 1972, when a group of prominent Houston area businessmen joined together to form a loosely knit organization known as the Texas Ad Hoc Fundraising Committee. The purpose of this committee was to raise funds for the president prior to the effective date of the new disclosure law on April 7, 1972. Included among the members of the group were William Litke, the president of Pennzoil and the unofficial chairman of the ad hoc committee, Roy Winchester, Pennzoil's vice president in charge of public relations, and Robert Allen, the president of Gulf Resources and Chemical Company. On March 10, 1972, Maurice Stans met with the ad hoc committee in Houston to discuss their fundraising activities. A few days after this meeting, Litke said he received a call from Allen, who informed him he could raise some funds, United States funds, in Mexico. Allen, who had met Stans for the first time on the 10th, asked Litke to check with Maury and see if that created any problems. Allen testified he asked Litke to see if there were any problems with a U.S. citizen making a contribution through Mexico. Litke called Stans, who indicated he would get back to him later with an answer. Allen has since confirmed the citizen he was referring to above was himself, and the reason he was considering Mexico was his desire to maintain his anonymity. He stated, When I spoke to Litke, a sort of vague or undecided route was to sell securities that I had and to make a transfer to another bank, perhaps a Mexican bank. I knew full well if I made a contribution in the usual manner, that is, just to write a check to Litke, that first of all my bankers would know, and secondly my stockholders would know, and I would have to assume in our stockholder group, and there would be the usual speculation about why I made the contribution, and I would expect from it the usual unfavorable, let's say distasteful, aspect of it. Allen testified that between March 10th and March 21st, he discussed with his attorney, Richard Haynes, the legality of a contribution made in this manner. When asked about the context of the conversation, Allen invoked attorney-client privilege. On March 21st, Allen went to Mexico City to see Orgario, who, for many years, had been retained by CAVSA as its labor counsel. The stated purpose of the Allen meeting with Orgario 
was to discuss a fee allegedly owed to Golgario by CAVSA for work done in connection with the shutdown of CAVSA in 1970. Allen stated Ogario had the assignment of complying with the labor law, which basically says that we had to pay each man three months plus 30 days for each year worked for us, and getting approval from the Labor Department and getting negotiations completed with the union to accept whatever plan was adopted. Also, because of a new labor law being enacted, it was necessary for these negotiations to be completed prior to mid-1970. Allen related, Ogario not only satisfactorily completed his work prior to the enactment of the labor law, thereby saving the company a substantial amount of money, but secured a settlement for $250,000 less than the company's reserve for the settlement. Ogario was to be compensated above his retainer for these services. Allen stated the reason Ogario had not been paid earlier by CAVSA was that the fee asked by Ogario was considered too high, and Diaz de Leon, president of CAVSA, had requested Allen to speak with Ogario personally. De Leon sent Allen a memorandum to this effect, which is dated December 17, 1971. Allen also stated that on numerous occasions De Leon had orally requested that Allen speak to Ogario. Allen said because of other pressing matters, March 21, 1972 was the first opportunity he had to see Ogario. Allen claimed that Ogario had been orally requesting a $250,000 fee, even though he, Ogario, had submitted a bill to De Leon on July 7, 1971, for 125000 Allen explained that this $125,000 statement was not a final bill, but rather a negotiating document, and that despite its submittal, Ogario was still discussing a $250,000 fee. Ogario, Allen, and De Leon met immediately after Allen's arrival in Mexico City on the 21st. Allen related that they had a candid meeting in which fees ranging from $250,000 amount downward to the $125,000 bill and below were discussed. Allen said that no final settlement was reached and that he instructed Ogario to go back and sharpen his pencil. When asked if there was any further discussion concerning the amount of the bill, Allen replied, We left it in a very cordial way that he would communicate with Diaz de Leon and let Pepe de Leon know what his bottom line was and my clear indication to him was that we would pay it. Allen said he had no discussions with Ogario concerning this fee subsequent to this meeting. Allen and Ogario met again on the 24th, Allen's last day in Mexico. Allen said at this meeting, for the first time, he turned to the question of raising money to make his contribution to FCRP. However, he decided not to disclose to Ogario the intended purpose of the needed money. Allen described this meeting with Ogario. On that Friday or the last day that I was there, I had lunch with him, and told him that I had a project that I was contemplating pursuing, and that it would require short-term financing, or some short-term financing, and that I had concluded that I wanted to arrange financing outside the eastern area, and that I was undecided. But I had not determined what the amount would be, but it would be no less than $50,000 and no more than $100,000, and that I wanted his advice on what sort of collateral he felt might be required for such financing from a Mexican bank, pointing out to him that I knew people in the banks there very well, and having done as much business as we have done, and that how long did he think it would take. I explained to him, if I did not get it done by April 1st, I was not going to pursue it. His response was that I was aware Holy Week was coming up, and the banking community closes down in Mexico on Holy Week, as most other businesses, and that that might interfere with it. But he felt that there would be no problem. He asked me what kind of collateral I might have available. I told him I could put a substantial amount of money on deposit as an example, or I could perhaps use stocks as collateral, something of that nature. And I told him that I might even be able to arrange a guarantee from a U.S. bank if that was necessary. 
In other words, we agree that there was collateral. So that was the nature of my explanation. He said, well, that he was not, as I say, this was on Friday, I believe, that he was not sure that it would be possible to get it done before April 1st, but maybe a few days after that. Without telling him why, I just said April 1st was my sort of personal deadline. I either had to do it by then, or I was not going to pursue that route. He said, well, if we are only talking about for the short-term financing, I said no more than 180 days. He said that should not take us more than a couple of weeks to get it done anyway, even with the financing. When are you coming back? I said, I will be back again next week, or within the next 10 days. He said, well, if there's any real problem, and you really are concerned about April 1st, I will advance you the money you need. We talked about that a bit. You know, first I said, I would not want you to do that. He said, well, I insist. You know, the usual sort of thing that particularly Mexican businessmen or friends like he would say. So I said, well, in that case, if I decide to do it, I will leave a note, and I will get right down to it and get it done. And that was the total substance of our conversation. Despite having told Orgario that he would be back in the next week to ten days when he would complete the transaction, Alan stated that, I went back to the office either that afternoon, or before I left town anyway, and typed up a very simple promissory note, one that was designed to indemnify, or at least to protect, to protect Manuel if I got run over by a truck or something, and put it in an envelope, signed it, left the dates blank, handed it to Diaz de Leon, and told him that I might want him to take care of some business for me that had to do with Manuel Orgario, and I'd be in touch. The note prepared by Allen personally was for the amount of $100,000, the higher of the two amounts, according to Allen, that he had mentioned to Ogario. Allen said he called Ogario after writing the note, but before leaving town, and told him that either he or De Leon would be in touch with him if he decided to go through with the project. On the way out of Mexico, Allen said that De Leon told me that Manuel, Ogario, had called him and said that he was going to pair his $125,000 bill by $25,000, but he was going to add back some expenses. When Allen got back to Houston, he told Arthur Urich, vice president of finance, that the matter with Agario had been settled, and Diaz de Leon would be talking about it, and I thought the settlement was $100,000 to go ahead and process it. On April 3, 1972, Letke called Stans because he had never received an answer for Allen on the Mexican funds. Stans told Letke to call back that afternoon and he would have an answer. Stans testified at public session. On April 3rd of last year, I received a telephone call from Ledkey, who was then our finance chairman for the state of Texas. He said, I have a U.S. citizen residing in Texas who is a prospective contributor for $100,000, but he wants to give it in U.S. funds that are now in Mexico. Is this legal? I said, I am quite sure it is, but let me check again, and I will call you back. I checked with our legal counsel, found it was perfectly legal for a U.S. citizen to give any foreign funds he wanted, and called back to Ledkey and told him so. Letke notified Allen it was all right to bring the funds up. On April 3rd, apparently without further word from Ogario as to the amount of the settlement, $100,000 was telephonically transferred from Gulf Resources and Chemical Company to the CAVSA account at the Banco Internacional. According to Allen, this payment was received by CAVSA and converted to a check to Ogario dated April 4th, 1973. Allen testified that on April 4th he was in New York, and he called De Leon from the airport there. Allen told De Leon to fill in the April 4th date on the note also. I told him to deliver the envelope to Mr. Ogario to assist him in any way that he could to take the proceeds of the note and to deliver them to Mr. Winchester's office at Pennzoil. Ogario had received no further notice regarding the loan since he and Allen talked on March 24th. 
Allen also told de leon to obtain cash from agario and instructed him when the money had to be there in addition to the envelope which Allen says de leon delivered on the fourth de leon also took agario a cab as a check for one hundred thousand dollars in payment of agario's bill a report by the accounting firm of arthur anderson and company to the audit committee of gulf resources and chemical dated may fourth nineteen seventy three notes that they were unable to locate either an invoice or a receipt in support of the one hundred thousand dollar payment to agario Allen acknowledged that, between speaking with Agario on March 24th and the delivery of the note to him on April 4th, he had not communicated with Agario. He also acknowledged that there had been no agreement as to an interest rate, even though in typing the note he stated an interest rate of 10% per annum. In fact, although Allen said that he and Agario were talking about a loan in the range of $50,000 or $100,000, he proceeded to prepare the note for $100,000 without further raising the question with Agario. According to Allen, de Leon attempted to comply with his instructions, however he encountered difficulties. De Leon called Allen later on the 4th to inform him that they were not able to secure enough cash. After some discussion, a combination of bank drafts and cash were decided upon, and the proceeds were given to de Leon. Per Allen's instructions, de Leon delivered $100,000 consisting of four checks totaling $89,000 and $11,000 in cash to Winchester and Ledke at Penzo's office in Houston on the afternoon of April 5th. As recounted by Letke and Winchester, de Leon asked for a receipt, but Letke related. I told him that we didn't want to give him a receipt, that he could get a receipt from Washington, that we were merely agreeing to transmit the funds to Washington. De Leon did not mention the source of the funds. The $100,000 was placed in a suitcase, which already contained some $600,000 raised by six other ad hoc members. Late that afternoon, Winchester and another Pennzoil employee flew to Washington by a Pennzoil company jet. At 10 p.m. on the evening of April 5th, Winchester delivered the $700,000 to Hugh Sloan at FCRP headquarters in Washington, D.C. The following day, Winchester went back to FCRP headquarters to give an accounting of the funds. With regard to the $100,000 raised in Mexico, Winchester said he listed Allen as the person who raised the money. As why he did not list Ogario as the donor of the $89,000, Winchester and Ledke said they knew that Ogario was not the donor. Asked further how they could be sure of this, they replied, We just knew. Sloan testified that he received the four Mexican checks from Winchester, but was unsure how they were to be handled. He checked with Stans, and out of this conversation it was decided to seek the advice of committee counsel, G. Gordon Liddy. It was decided that Liddy would take care of the checks. Liddy took the five checks to Florida, where he asked Bernard Baker to cash them. Baker returned the proceeds to Liddy some weeks later. Liddy then placed the funds, less $2,500 for processing, in a safe in Stan's office, where they were commingled with other cash funds. On or about July 7th, after it was discovered that the Mexican checks had gone through Barker's bank account, Frederick LaRue, an FCRP official, called Roy Winchester to ascertain the source of the funds. Winchester put LaRue in touch with Allen. LaRue warned Allen that the FBI would be contacting him and Ogario. Allen, in turn, contacted Ogario through De Leon to alert him of an impending visit. According to an FBI report, when interviewed by agents on July 10, 1972, Ogario advised them that he was given a check for $100,000, which he negotiated into the foregoing four bank drafts and cash, as a favor to an American client for 20 years standing, who he refused to identify other than as a reliable American company with operations in Mexico. Continuing, he said, he signed the checks making them negotiable, and turned them and the remaining $11,000 cash over to his client, and he believed the purpose of the transaction was to convey money to the Republican Party anonymously. 
Subsequently to the LaRue-Allen telephone conversation, Allen, Winchester, and LaRue met in Penzoil's apartment in the Watergate complex. Allen said, he told LaRue, unless this can be straightened out right away, we just want the money back. LaRue said he never discussed the return of the money with Allen. Allen appeared before a grand jury in Houston, Texas on September 7, 1972. According to an FBI account, he told the jurors that the $100,000 contribution was a personal contribution by him. Allen conceded to the committee that in his testimony he did not refer to the existence of the promissory note, which was the only physical evidence documenting the $100,000 loan to him by Ogario. Allen said he was not asked for the note, nor did he voluntarily submit it. Throughout the fall, Allen said he continued to have discussions with Stans, Parkinson, LaRue, and others. Allen explained that, plus on numerous occasions, I have said that the way I think this can be solved best is just to give me my money back, agonizing with them about the timing, you know, what sort of publicity would come out of it. Quite candidly, I was as worried about doing anything at all that would interfere with the election. I was finance chairman for the state of Texas. There was a certain amount, there certainly, perhaps, would have been a negative kind of indication to the people that I was trying to get contributions at the time, if I, in fact, had asked for money or had gotten it back. At the same time, of course, I was spending practically every day trying to ward off the press who were making the most god-awful assumptions about the whole matter. You may dream of them. They made them. In addition to Allen, his attorney, Haynes had conversations with Parkinson and LaRue that concerned Allen's contribution. When asked to disclose the nature of these conversations, attorney-client privilege was again invoked, even though these conversations were between Haynes and third parties who were not his clients. The promissory note came payable on October 2, 1972. Allen said that he told De Leon to tell Manuel Orgario that I am ready to do something, according to Allen. By this time, Orgario was in such terrible straits about the way he was being pilliard and maligned by the press in Mexico. His view was, look, let's just do nothing until we see this whole thing through. I know precisely what the situation is, and we both feel uncomfortable about it, so I would say, by his request or mutual agreement, it was decided that I would not pay the note until some time he felt comfortable about it. Six weeks later, on November 16, 1972, Allen sent Ogario a personal check for $100,000. The funds used by Allen to cover his check were obtained by borrowing $100,000 from a commercial bank. The loan was a standard bank loan for 90 days. It was not until December 15, 1972, that Allen paid the interest owed on the Ogario note. He explained that Ogario was suggesting perhaps a substantial or meaningful fee ought to be tacked onto this as a result of his considerable, because of the inconvenience, let's say, that he experienced, and perhaps the damage to his reputation, the time spent, and so on. No such charge was ever levied. Allen wrote to Stans on January 23, 1972, asking that his $100,000 be returned. In the last paragraph of his letter, Allen states, In addition to the above, there are personal reasons why I must request that my contribution be returned. A $100,000 check was drawn on the account of the media committee to re-elect the president and was given the following day. Three days later, on January 26, 1973, Allen issued a check payable to the Republic National Bank of Houston to repay his $100,000 loan, which had been used to repay the Regario loan. When asked about his net worth, Allen indicated it was between $1 million and $1.6 million, depending on the stock market. However, on a balance sheet supplied by Allen to the Republic National Bank on October 31, 1972, by Allen, he lists his net worth at $782,000. Thus, the $100,000 represented a contribution of 12.7% of his net worth to President Nixon's re-election campaign. In deciding the amount of his contribution, Allen testified, 
it was not related to my net worth really it related to what i thought would be a meaningful size contribution in relation to what i would do for the next four years or maybe longer the question of the mexican checks surfaced again in the edited transcripts of presidential conversations according to the transcripts on march thirteenth nineteen seventy three john dean and the president discussed the allen contribution dean anyway i don't care about that what happened to this texas guy that gets his money back was he all hell broke loose for him that week this allen president no no allen dean allen not duncan nor unintelligible all hell broke loose for allen for this reason he the money apparently originally came out of a subsidiary of one of allen's corporations down in mexico it went to a lawyer in mexico who put it down as a fee bill to the subsidiary and then the lawyer sent it back into the states and it came back up here but the weakness of it is that the mexican lawyer one didn't have a legitimate fee two it could be a corporate contribution so allen had personally put up a note with the corporation to cover it allen meanwhile is having problems with his wife and a divorce is pending and tax problems president inaudible watergate dean i don't know what that went into the letter it wasn't used for the watergate that is the interesting thing president it wasn't dean no it was not what happened is that these mexican checks came in they were given to gordon liddy and said why don't you get these cashed gordon liddy in turn put them down to this fellow barker in florida who said he could cash these mexican checks and put them with your barker's bank account in here they could have been just as easily cashed at the riggs bank there was nothing wrong with the checks why all that rigmarole it is just like a lot of other things that happened over there god knows what why it was all done it was totally unnecessary and it was not directly involved in the watergate it wasn't a wash operation to get money back to liddy and the like when asked by the committee staff about the basis for his statement to the president dean said that he had no specific information concerning the source of allen's contribution and was speculating during his committee executive session allen was asked about the alleged corporate source of these contributions dorson as a conclusory question mr allen was there any connection between the payment of a fee to ogario for and your obtaining one hundred thousand dollars from ogario as a means to make a contribution to the president's re-election campaign allen none end of section eleven